Welcome to the Oklahoma Drill. We are doing a football episode. It's Big 12 Media Days. Joined here with Alex and Nathan. Very happy to have Nathan back. It's been a while since we have talked about football, um, but it felt appropriate. Um, and we actually have some stuff to go over. So let's get into it. Um, how, how's everybody been? Did everyone enjoy their Big 12 Media Day? <laughs> Well, I was uh, at work, but yeah. Go yeah. ahead, Alex. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it was fine. Like, I mean, Lincoln Riley was the headliner of day one, um, and I, I saw, I think I saw Gary Patterson's um, press conference. I saw Mike Gundy's press conference and Lincoln Riley's press conference. So. Can we take okay. a second and talk about Gary Patterson, like the weird quote that he had in his? I saw he like compared himself to a cockroach or something like that. Can yes. You elaborate on yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> I um. No, I'll. I've got nothing about that other than like making a reference to Franz Kafka's *The Metamorphosis*. Okay. Um, yeah, like he said something where he was. Like he was fifth in line or something for his wife, and he outlasted everybody else or something like that. I don't know. He had an odd, yeah, a, a kind of an odd quote, but yeah, I, I mean, that's it what was, media days are for. It was a very strange thing to say. I felt like, but you know, <laughs> Gary Patterson tends to say some strange yeah. things from now and not. Every it was now very, and then. Uh, very Leechian, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. Listen to Gary Patterson talk for any period of time. It's just like. I don't like it. He's so aggressive Mm -hmm. in his talking, even like, you know, it's like, damn, I can't imagine getting coached by him. Like, I feel like he would just be like, I feel like his natural state is yelling. So it's, it would just get tiresome, (laughs) you know? Um, I thought Mike Gundy was interesting. Um, and you know, I, over this off season, I've been probably more, anti Mike Gundy than I've ever been. I've always been a pretty big fan of Mike Gundy. Um, but I thought he was really good today. Like he was more like he'd said himself that he's more energized than he's been in years. And he's looking forward to this season more than he has in any season in years. And like just listening to him talk, like it was very, evident that that is the case you know like he was not like he's always been a guy that like if he doesn't want to talk to you he's gonna kind of have a bad attitude but like I didn't get that sense at all like I felt like he was excited to be there and talk about his football team Um, which I mean obviously that doesn't really mean anything but it I just thought it was kind of interesting because I think you know after last season you would expect Gundy to kind of be like screw this, I'm, I'm about done, you know, but it, it really seems yeah. like he, he let last season have the opposite effect on him. So I find that kind of interesting. Um, obviously there was the big thing recently about how he, you know, pulled an offer from a kid that was just visiting another school and, you know, he's caught in a lot of heat for that, but I was kind of surprised nobody asked him a question about that. Honestly, I thought that was kind of um, an oversight by people to to not let him oh. get a and maybe they did in like the breakaway stuff but like mm-hmm. I thought that should be something that should be asked but you know it was that, not addressed. Yeah. That's the benefit of a program stature because you can rest assured that Lincoln or Tom Herman would have been asked that it was one of those two that had done that. 
Oh, it's so. true. Absolutely. Yeah. He can kind of fly under the radar a little bit. Yep. Yep. It's, I mean, think about, you know, even with the Puka Williams situation at Kansas, I mean, right. think about all the right. amount of heat OU got for Joe Mixon missing a year and Puka Williams missing a game. And it's been a fraction of that much. So, I mean, it's just, it's right. all about where you are and, uh, the amount of, uh, yeah. the amount of, uh, flack or backlash or whatever you want to call it is proportional to that. You're right. Though I heard that Les was just spectacularly awkward handling that today. Really? Yeah. Well, he was just Les Miles. So. Yeah, I was I was disappointed that I missed his. Like, that's the one guy that I wish I could have seen because mm-hmm. I woke up probably an hour and a half after the media day started. So I missed I missed some stuff. Um, but. Yeah, Les Miles is always interesting in in interviews. I wouldn't call him good, but he's interesting mm-hmm. in them. So, um, with Lincoln, really, I, there's one takeaway that I had today, um, and it was like kind of a baller thing with, you know, Lincoln. Like Barry Trammell asked Lincoln, he was like, "You lost Kyler Murray, and you lost four NFL offensive linemen." He's like, I'm just going to assume that there's going to be some kind of drop-off offensively. And can your defense make up for that drop-off that's inevitably going to happen? And Lincoln, like, paused and just kind of sat there for a second. And then he says, like, we don't anticipate a drop-off offensively. And I was just <laughs> like, that's, that's my coach right there. I love yeah. that man. If that yeah. happens with the amount of turnover – at at the line and that quarterback like can you imagine like i mean i've said it in the past you know if if lincoln puts together you know a top five offense out of this year of all years you know i just i won't ever worry about offense again basically because right i mean this is the i mean this is probably the last you know potential gap year um so it'll it'd just be insane um, yeah, but it, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no, I agree. Like this is, you know, the the talent is kind of flowing in at such a high rate at this point that after this season, you're probably just going to it's going to be pretty smooth. Yeah, you'll have years where you have to replace a quarterback. But other than that, it'll be yeah. I mean, well, it'll, you'll be replacing a quarterback with another five star in all likelihood. So it's yeah, not even it, that big a deal. It's the double whammy of replacing quarterback plus replacing all of that, all of your line plus replacing your first round wide receiver, you know, all it's like all of that at the same time. So they're able to come out of that and like barely have a drop off. If any drop off, like, you know, it's just, I won't even, it won't even be a concern until proven otherwise moving forward. Exactly. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be like how you feel about going into Bedlam. It's like, you're not really concerned about it until you actually lose to OSU. You know, mm-hmm. like we won't be concerned until we see an actual drop off offensively. So, yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, let's go ahead and move over. We're going to start, you know, kind of I think this might be the third year that we will have done kind of position previews. Yeah. Um, and since we're kind of getting a, I would, you know, maybe like a late ish start to them, we're going to kind of consolidate and do quarterbacks and running backs today. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're also going to add a little bit of recruiting news for both 
for both positions. So just kind of talk about the state of recruiting at both. This will be one of the easier ones because the state of recruiting is in a pretty good spot at both positions. But um, let's start a quarterback. And obviously um, Jalen Hurts is at Oklahoma now. And obviously Lincoln Riley is doing the whole thing about, uh, well, he's got to win the job first because – that's just what we do, apparently. Um, yeah, any thoughts on that? I, I mean, I, I don't really have any problem with it. I know people get bored with it because it's – I mean, we all know who's going to win the job. But um, I, I'm, I'm completely fine with having, like, the idea of, you know, competition is paramount and you have to earn your spot and all that kind of stuff. Just because I think it sets a good example for all the other positions. So, yeah, yeah we all we all know Jalen's going to win it, uh, and it's fine. T- but I don't have any problem with you know making him earn it in fall camp. I mean, yeah, yeah. I just complacency, you know, is the bat is kind of the death of good programs. So, whatever right. you can do to fight that, I guess I'm I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. It's it's just it's impossible to believe him when it comes to quarterback competition now after last year, like there'll be years I like where there is a legitimate quarterback competition and yeah. I will not be sure. I believe Lincoln about it at this point. I don't know, man, Austin, he was close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, like, okay. If Austin Kendall goes and leads West Virginia to a great season and winds up in New York as a Heisman finalist, I will then believe what he was saying about quarterback battles. I will believe it at that point. But that's what's going to have to happen for me to buy it. Um, And I just cannot imagine that actually happening. Um, But, yeah, so let's start. Jalen Hurts, like, I don't think any of us think that he's going to be as good as the two guys that we just had. And, you know, we kind of know what Jalen Hurts is as a quarterback, and we know that he's – in all likelihood, improved a not insignificant amount since the last time he was the starting quarterback at Alabama. So, um, what are you what are you guys expecting to see from Jalen Hurts in his one year at Oklahoma? Um, to me, it's going to be the most interesting, uh, like demonstration of Lincoln Riley's ability to coordinate an offense. Not just because like yeah. he's coming in after just one year, but because like. Jalen Hurts, you know, has improved, but ultimately, like, this is a guy who is known as, like, game manager is a thing people say to damn with faint praise, but, like, he executes the game plan. He makes the right read and then does the correct thing. And, you know, it got to the point where, you know, teams were using that against him by you just have defenses showing them what they wanted him to do and being happy with the result. Um, And so, to me, the interesting thing is going to be, like, can Lincoln put together an offense around him and C.D. Lamb and the two running backs and Grant Calcaterra that gets a result that the defense can't live with consistently? Like, that to me me is going to be the most interesting thing. Can the right read every time be a winning play? Yeah, the so yeah, the thing to me is I think Ryan pretty much hit it, you know, it's 
this is going to be a, almost as much of a commentary on Lincoln and how well he can adapt. I mean, we all know he can adapt uh, his offense to different players, but this is probably the first time he's had a quarterback that maybe doesn't have the arm talent that uh, is really necessary to run this offense at the highest level. I mean, I think he has a good arm talent, but he doesn't have the deep accuracy. I don't know what he looks like if he tries to run, you know, throw, you know, 20 yard outs. Like, I, I just don't know what that looks like. So um, I think he's gotten better. And I, I've seen lots of articles talking about how much better he got over the last year at Alabama. But again, we, until he's actually thrown in the fire, you don't know that. So I think this is going to be a lot of um, Lincoln. How well does he get Jalen Hurts into rhythm early? Um, how well does um, he, I mean, the, the game plan to beat Oklahoma will be to force Jalen Hurts to throw. So how can Lincoln um, facilitate that and kind of use it to Oklahoma's advantage? Because they obviously have the receiving talent to to do that. It's just can Hurts consistently hit those throws. So uh, it'll be fascinating just to kind of watch because after this, we're going to have you know quarterbacks presumably with as much arm talent as anyone in the country. So this will probably be the uh, – an offense that is more, I would imagine, more heavily run predicated. Maybe I can almost see it maybe almost being 60% run. Um, and so, especially with the two backs that they have. So I would think that the offense maybe early on might have hit some, I don't think it'll be quite to the 2015 levels, but it might, I can see the offense having a little bit of a slower start, but, uh, It'll really just be about how much Lincoln can get Jenkins or uh, Jalen Hurts comfortable, and uh, luckily, like like Ryan said, they have guys like Alcatara, Lee Morris is coming back. You have CD, so you have a lot of receiving threats that can um, kind of ease that burden a little bit, at least early on, until he gets uh, deeper into the offense, probably mid-season. Yeah, so I think what I expect to see from Jalen Hurts this year is. A guy that when things go correctly in terms of, you know, if the first couple reads are open, I, I have I don't think you'll have any issue hitting those guys. Like pretty much no matter where they are on the field. Um, I just don't know what it's going to look like. You know, gotten really used the last, you know, really four years to where when a play doesn't go the way it needs to go, like it, the play isn't over, you know, yeah. like. Obviously, Baker and Kyler were probably two of the best quarterbacks ever at making something out of nothing. And I just don't know what to expect from Jalen Hurts in those situations because, you know, it's not something that I've seen him do a lot of. Like, I think he's a guy that, you know, if something breaks down, he might look to tuck it and run. Or if he's rolling out, like maybe if a receiver comes out you know, comes open on the side that he's rolling to, he might be able to hit that guy as well, but it's not going to be like, Oh, he's rolling. Right. And then he sees somebody over the middle of the field, you know, that come open right. and he's going to throw that guy open. Like I am not expecting right, any of yeah. that kind of thing, but he's also a guy that like, once he gets out on the perimeter, it's not going to be about really, you know, with Kyler and Baker, a lot of the time it was about not getting hit as they went out there. And mm -hmm. He's big enough to where he's going to be able to, you know, almost be a running back out there to where he's going to be able to kind of gain yards, even if there's not a lot um, in that regard, you know, not a lot of space for him. So 
Yeah, um, he's he, he's easily the most physically. Uh, I don't want to say physically gifted because no one. I mean, he's nowhere close to Kyler probably in the open field, but he's six two two twenty. I mean, he's just a completely different kind of runner um, yeah. compared to Kyler. Uh, well, and he's one of those guys that like once he gets rolling, you don't catch him. You know, like he is yeah. fast in the open field. Like it just. With Kyler, like that, Kyler was at full speed in like three steps. You know? <laughs> yeah. So it was like the acceleration was just insane. Like Jalen, it takes a little bit more time for him to get to that speed. But once he's there, like, yeah, you're probably not going to be running him down. And, you know, I, I really feel like him against the defenses that are on our regular season schedule. Um he's going to be very successful. He was yeah. always successful against teams, teams in which Alabama had a significant talent advantage, which was most teams that they played like Jalen hurts was really freaking good, but you know, and that he had games against Auburn where they, they have some pretty significant defensive talent in that Georgia game in the national championship. Like they had legitimate defensive talent and that was where he had issues. So, you know, maybe in like that Texas game, you might see a little bit of that come through with Hertz, but I think in general, on your average week in the Big Twelve, Hertz is going to be a really, really good quarterback. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, like in terms of plays breaking down, this is going to be one of the most interesting seasons in terms of like examining the way, like, other players on the field help out a quarterback in those situations, because I mean. You know, Baker and Kyler were so great in the improvisatory mode that, you know, there's a degree to which that inspired belief in, like, the other skill position players that, like, oh, this play isn't over. A play is never over. And also with the line, like, there were a lot of really great interviews uh, done with OU's linemen uh, from last year about what it's like to block for a guy who is basically never dead to rights. And so uh, to me, that's a really interesting um, aspect of this. Um, I want to see whether Jalen is able to either inspire guys in the same way to go out there and be ready to make plays for him, or if those guys with the experience of playing with Baker and Kyler know how to help Jalen out in those situations. It'll it'll be interesting to see. I think it'll be a little bit of both, or maybe neither. Um, but yeah, that's going to be, to me, the interesting thing. What, I, what I'll be find really interesting is, you know, I think a lot most of the time teams kind of take on the percent of their coach and also a little bit of their quarterback, mm-hmm. um, especially like whenever Baker was our quarterback. Right. Or was the, so I'm curious to see if... You know, they always talk about how, you know, Dalen's kind of stoic. He's kind of a, you know, he's he's a coach's son, insert cliche here. But he's also, you know, has some toughness. And so I'm wondering if maybe it, we're not, maybe this team isn't as pretty on offense. Maybe they have to grind out a few more games. But I wonder, I'm kind of wondering if that will be imparted on the mindset of the rest of the team where I kind of harken back to what I said earlier Um about being a more run-dominated team. I can see this team being a bit more of a team that wants to get into fights. And if the defense improves, maybe it's a little bit more defensive-oriented. You know, they're running running the ball heavier, that sort of thing. I don't know. But 
I'm wondering if that mindset will kind of proliferate throughout the uh, the locker room as they as the season wears on, and maybe they see Jalen get you know run through arm tackles and get take some big hits, and but it, you know he's sturdy and he gets back up and he keeps going that kind of thing instead of scampering out you know kind of like what Kyler would do where he would go on this amazing run but then scamper out of the out of the end or excuse me off the sideline. It's just a slightly right. different message. Not that one's better than the other, but it's just slightly different. Right. This is a this is now a team with a quarterback who squats. Um. <laughs> so yeah, no, I th- there's a different dynamic there, it, and it'll be interesting to see for sure. Um. Okay. Yeah. Let's uh let's go on. We're gonna skip Tanner Mordecai. I do not <laughs> think that he matters. Um, I think he's. Oh, a, remember he could those, be a deep. He could be an okay God. backup. Remember those. Up. Remember those deep balls. No, I don't. I remember the one in the spring game where he threw it to right <laughs> to an OU defensive back. Like if you're throwing picks to the OU secondary, I have no confidence in your ability to. Uh, yeah, to be a, a great quarterback. So this is fair um, point. Correct. Yeah, yeah. fair point. Yeah. So yeah, I. It's like Tanner. Wait before you. Before I'm going to interrupt you. I keep seeing people talking about, you know, oh, he played great against uh, the OU against OU last year, like to justify their quarterbacks. It's like, well, no shit. Who else? Who didn't play great up against OU last year? I don't feel yeah, like mm-hmm. that's a good. I don't feel like that's a good uh, reason to have confidence in quarterback X, Y, or Z. It's like right. I want to see you do well against other teams besides OU, mm-hmm. um, which yeah. is painful to say, but it's the truth. Absolutely. Like, I think he'll get chances to play because, I mean, if we get big leads in these early season games, like, yeah, we're not going to play Jalen Hurts any more than we have to. So I assume that Mordecai will get some snaps early in the season, and I'm sure he will disappoint. So um, <laughs> he's going to tear up South Dakota or North Dakota or whoever the hell they're playing. Yeah, South Dakota. Yeah, South Dakota. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on to the person that we really want to talk about because Spencer Rattler has arrived. He's going to be wearing number seven um, because obviously his number two is uh, being worn by CD lamb. And if it weren't being worn by CD lamb, it'd be worn by Jalen hurts. So he's like third in line to be number two in this for this team. So he is wearing number seven instead. Um, What do you think is like, first of all, I've been thinking about this a lot. And I don't know if OU should even worry about, like, it might happen regardless, but I don't think redshirting Spencer Rattler should be something that's, like, important to OU. You know, like, I don't think that there needs to be any situation where you're like, well, we could play him, but we don't really want to lose that year because I just don't think, Spencer Rattler is going to be here for four or five years, you know, right. like, and I like, think... the, like that also becomes significantly less important. Um, looking ahead to like the recruiting at that position. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, so I'm, I'm more interested in to see if like, if Spencer Rattler can beat out Tanner Mordecai in the fall to be the backup quarterback. And then if like we can find situations that we can get him snaps to get him experience as a true freshman, 
Yeah. Like, obviously, we've got the four games. You know, you might target that South Dakota game as a good chance to get him time. But, like, I want to know if he can be good enough to where we can give him, like, real snaps. Like, I don't know. Like, I've, I've just remember seeing, like, you know, there's been times when you have, like, this ridiculously good true freshman sitting behind a veteran quarterback. And, like, a team will give him, like, one possession a game or something you know like so trevor lawrence and kelly bryant last year right exactly and then it turned out well we're just gonna go with the true freshman and i mean i'm not saying that i think spencer rattler is gonna beat out jalen hurts but i think if rattler looks really good and is able to beat out tanner mordecai in the fall um that, you know, I think there's a chance that he could play legitimate snaps and just, oh, you could get weird with it or, you know, just get him a little bit ex- of experience because I think he's the kind of guy that, like, might really ri- rise to the occasion of playing legitimate snaps as a true freshman. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I really right. like the way he plays. Like, we've we've talked about him a lot on this podcast, and I know that um, one of the things, Nathan, I was actually re-listening to an old podcast uh, yesterday and Nathan was pretty concerned about like just his physical ability to like make it through a season because he was really skinny, but like that dude's up to like two ten. Yeah, he's gained he's, a, he's, he's gained, gained a, lot, a of lot of weight. He's completely yeah. changed his body since high school. Um, so I think he's physically ready. He has he's the most physically gifted quarterback on the team by far. It's not even close. Yeah. Um, so I'm. I'm looking at that as being more of a possibility than, you know, OU really trying to like preserve the season because, oh, we really need to redshirt Spencer because I think ideally they're going to want next season to come in and just be like, Spencer's our quarterback and we're going to try and win a national championship. You know, I think 2020 is a year that we've had marked down as like a potential national championship year for a while and Spencer Rattler is going to have to be at his best for that to happen. Yeah. And what would I, what I would like about that if there is just, you know, completely obvious if it was something like Deshaun Watson a couple of years ago where everybody knew he was going to be the quarterback next year, that would almost, you know, we have a lot of juniors or guys that are going to be third years next year that are going to be, have some decisions to make. And if they have a, well, Spencer's here and he gives us a definite shot and we could, you know, make the difference that might incentivize it for you to stick around. So yeah, that's just, right. that's just kind of a, something else to kind of think, keep in mind, but you know, it couldn't hurt. So yeah, sure. Um, yeah. And like, I mean, it would just be really exciting to see a guy with his talent, you know, play and, you know, heaven forbid Jalen hurts were to get hurt. Like I, if, Rattler's a guy that you've given some snaps and then, you know, Jalen Hurts gets hurt in the first half of Bedlam or something like I would not be super I wouldn't be unconfident that Spencer Rattler could come in and and really win that game. Like, I think he's that talented. So I think it's just going to be about how they want to manage that situation. And um, I tend to think like I just again redshirting him might just wind up being a pointless thing because he could come out and play two years and be really good. And then you lose him as a redshirt sophomore, you know, and then you just, so I I don't really see the point in that. Um, And you, you mentioned earlier, Ryan, that 
you know, with the way we're recruiting the position, um, it's not something that will probably matter anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about that specifically. And I mean, the guy we're talking about is Brock Vandegrift, 2021 quarterback, five-star number one player in the country, not number one quarterback, but number one player in the country, according to rivals. So, I mean, obviously Lincoln has been able to kind of make, you know, parlay his success in terms of getting two Heisman winners into another five-star quarterback. This is the second five-star quarterback in the last three years. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's start there. What I want to hear Nathan's thoughts on Brock Vandegrift and how does he fit this system? Nathan. Sorry. I'm, Muted myself. Yep. Um, I mean, he's he's big, he's fast, he can throw the. I mean, he, what what do you, can you not like about him? I mean, he checks off just about every box. Uh, he, I'm try, I've been trying to kind of rack my brain about who I think he plays like, but no, I, I haven't found a comparison. I just love. Um, he's. I don't, I don't even really know. I don't have that much I can even ding him on because he has a lot of velocity in his ball. He can. He can run pretty well. He's not a you know a run first guy certainly, but he uh, he has more than enough ability to make that make that a factor and something defenses have to account for. Um, he's six three. It's already about two hundred pounds. I mean, he's I, I know reading different analysts and reading different people that have seen him a lot. Of, I mean, it's a fairly common sentiment to you know say he's as talented as anyone that's come out you know, maybe sans Trevor Lawrence um, in the last five, 10 years, you know, he's, uh, he's the number one prospect in the 2021 class. I don't know if he'll stick there, but he'll be in contention the whole way, I'm sure. Um, and what I'm really curious to see about him is he's in Georgia. So what does that do for, you know, Oklahoma recruiting in the Southeast? What type of sway right. does he have on kids around him? I know he plays for, you know, a kind of a small private school because his dad's the head coach there. Um, but I'm sure just from, you know, seven on seven and uh, just going to the different events around that area, um, that people have, you know, as especially now that he's ranked where he's ranked, he's going to have some kind of notoriety. So it'll be interesting to see if like some wide receivers or any other, maybe some linemen or something like that kind of say, oh, I want to play with that guy, kind of that thing. Um but anyway, he's, I mean, I don't really have any, anything negative to say about him. He checks just about every box. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that's a really good point about, like, OU now has the best player in this class uh, committed, and he's a quarterback in the state of Georgia. Like, that is going to do, like, that does so much to solidify Oklahoma as a as like definitively like a top tier recruiting power. Like right. and they were probably there already, but like now there can be no question. If you can get that guy out of Georgia to OU, you can get any player in the country from anywhere. Yeah, well, and you know, especially at the quarterback position, like I mean you know, I'm taught, you know, obviously, and it's only going to get better. Like if Hertz has a good year, you've got to assume Spencer Rattler is going to have a good couple of years at least, you know? So like, I don't see the talent 
inflow at quarterback slowing down anytime soon, you know, and like this guy is by far the highest rated guy we've had, um, you know, just more on him as a player, like, you know, my first like idea of him was as just this ridiculously good pocket passing quarterback. Like he's a guy, you know, I mean, he's not Trevor Lawrence in terms of size and really, you know, nobody really has Trevor Lawrence arm talent, but he's like in that realm, I feel like as a pocket passer, but the guy was also a thousand yard rusher, you know, in high school as a sophomore. Right. So he's a guy that, you know, the entire playbook is going to be open with Brock Vandegrift. He's a guy that's going to be able to make a lot of plays with his legs, you know, and like as a sophomore, he showed flashes as a guy that, it can make some pretty ridiculous scramble plays, you know, throwing on the run and, you know, making something out of nothing. And, you know, to me, when I watch quarterbacks, like, you know, especially for the way we've played these last few years, like that's basically the number one skill that I want to see. Like, I just, I assume that any quarterback Lincoln is even remotely interested in is going to be able to make all the throws from the pocket. But I think Lincoln himself and definitely I have followed suit and I just, that's what I want to see. I want to see a guy that can do something out of nothing. And I definitely think that Brock Vandegrift is that kind of guy as well. He's probably not like, he's not Spencer Rattler in that way. Cause Rattler, that was like his best skill. Um, like Vandegrift still probably better from the pocket, but he has potential as a guy that can get out of the pocket and make plays from on the move. Um, last thing with quarterback recruiting, it's kind of interesting. Um, is that it? The longer it goes, the more it seems like OU is just not going to take a quarterback in the twenty twenty class. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, OU's taken a quarterback in every class for the last several years. I can't remember the last time OU didn't take a quarterback. It might have been the year. I think it might have been twenty fourteen, the year that they had Baker come in. So they like kind of thought of him as that year's quarterback. But it's been a while. Um, and pretty much since Lincoln's been here, they've taken a quarterback. So, um, it's an interesting decision, um, because you could definitely see a scenario where if like everybody inside the program and outside the program knows that Spencer Rattler is going to be the quarterback in 2020, like what is Tanner Mordecai doing? Right? Like he's not thinking about playing, like he's not going to play over that guy. Um, so I don't know how that could you know, fold out in terms of like the portal is becoming more and more prevalent. Right. And you would imagine that Tanner Mordecai would want to get up, get in on that. If he knows that a guy that's a year younger than him is already pretty much established as the quarterback of the future. Um, so that would leave OU in the year in 2020, the year before Brock Vandegrift gets to Oklahoma, um, that would leave OU with one scholarship quarterback. So kind of a scary situation from a depth perspective, um, obviously there are some options like maybe OU's just planning on, well, we're going to hit the transfer market hard. Um, but the way I look at that, it's like, well, if you've got a guy that you know is going to be your starter, how are you going to convince a transfer guy, a grad transfer, especially how are you going to convince somebody like that? So I don't have really any idea what OU's going to do at 2020 quarterbacks. So it's just an interesting thing that I've, it's been very surprising, honestly, like it's, you just every day I'm just expecting some kind of offer to go out at quarterback and it just has not happened yet. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Nathan, do you uh, have any thoughts about that? Is he muted again? I think he's muted. He's got to stop doing that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, see, I'm always afraid of like being like the heavy breather guy or something on a mm-hmm. podcast. So I'm trying to cut down on that. But then I try to talk and my little mute icon's done. Yeah, I think Alex covered it pretty well. I don't really have a thing to add. Um, it'll, I mean, one thing I like a lot about Vandegrift is like kind of the maturity level already for his for his age, you know. It's something that it's kind of a, a small thing. It may well not maybe not even a small thing, but you think about, you know, you see all these guys who, you know, they they want to bolt after one year, you know, and he's already and he's talking about, you know, if I have to sit, I have to sit. That that's kind of refreshing to see to see. Um, but I really don't have that many more thoughts on him. Um, yeah, I'm yeah, spinning my wheels here a little bit. Go ahead. Yeah, let's uh, let's let's go ahead and move on to running backs. Um, you know, and I think that any conversation at OU at running backs probably going to start with Kennedy Brooks. Um, I don't really want to talk about his recent issues. Like, seems like everything is is good to go for him at this point. So that's yeah. kind of how I want to handle it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the guy is coming back he averaged over nine yards a carry or he averaged almost nine yards a carry last year um and i i expect him to really you know because there was a lot of points last year where it was like why the hell is this guy not our starting running back and why is he not getting the most carries on the team you know like it just made no sense so hopefully the fact that he was away from the team a little bit doesn't put him behind in that regard and he's able to you know, establish himself as like the main running back because mm-hmm. it seems like he's put on some weight, which is really what I thought he needed to do because he was a little skinny for um, even as effective as he was. He still, I thought, could have been a little bit stronger because um, he's he's always been one of those guys that like just doesn't look the part, but then he's averaging nine yards of carry. So if he can really get his body developed and have his body match the production, then you're looking, I think, at a really high-level running back at that point. Yeah, he's. I think you almost hate to say, you know, why wasn't he starting? Probably because he. I mean, he's about as, I don't know, unimpressive to look at <laughs> as <laughs> as we've seen for a while at OU. I mean, you see him and Rodney standing next to each other, and there's no really no comparison. So, right. but I mean, obviously, he's he's got something because he doesn't look particularly fast. He's not. Big, particularly big or strong, but he just—I mean—he he just rip, rips off twenty yards, run, twenty-yard runs, one after another. You know, he's—he's he's got either got amazing vision or better, better speed than you think he does. Um, so once his body kind of catches up to the, to that, you know, it's—it's it's almost like the sky's the limit. You know, so he definitely kind of provided a spark because we were OU was a little lost last year. I think once Rodney went down. I mean, they yeah. were playing Sutton against Texas. They were, you know, Trey Sermon was fine, but you know, he's better. He's better, kind of in that closer role than kind of starting out games. Um, so once Brooks really came on against TCU, that just kind of provided a spark. So um, yeah. it'll be interesting to kind of see with him missing some time in the summer if there's any 
any time to get acclimated or if it's, you know, negligible and he's got plenty of time and to work himself back into kind of the, I don't know, off season conditioning and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, speaking of, well, so here's what I think is going to be most interesting thing about the running back position moving forward is, uh, Kennedy Brooks and Trey Sermon are now both going to have the ability to work off of uh, Jalen Hurts as a running threat um, and like a serious between the tackles running threat, um, which is not something that either Baker or Kyler really was. I mean, obviously Kyler was incredible on the move, but like <laughs> you can't, he can't run behind a guard. Like that just isn't how that works. Um, whereas Jalen is totally comfortable. Um, doing that sort of thing. Uh, and so for me, the question becomes which back can most benefit from that? Um, and I'm actually like, I'm kind of interested to see, um, obviously, you know, theoretically, um, with, uh, hurts as like a, being able to present like a challenge inside the box, like maybe that gives the backs more opportunity on the outside. Um, and, or, you know, uh, Trey Sermon has really always been a better changeup back than a fastball back. Um, and maybe if, you know, if Jalen Hurts can be a fastball on the field, uh, then like, you know, Sermon starting over Kennedy Brooks, like won't feel as baffling. Right. Yeah. It made more sense. One thing that'll be interesting to see, you know, is, I mean, Jay, like we we said earlier, Jalen Hurts is you know six two two twenty. Defenses are going to get tired of hitting him, and so if they bring in Sermon in the third quarter, now they got another guy that's that size. You know, yeah. Um, if that has any effect as well, if it's just repeated punches in the face versus just in the second half, um, and then Brooks tries to run around you. You know, right. And then the, I think another thing that is going to come into play here is um, with. Um, with uh, Hertz as such a running threat, it's going to be really important for whichever back is on the field with him to be a capable lead blocker. Yeah. Um, especially with, you know, with Carson Meyer gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, that's interesting. I think that's something Sermon almost certainly has an advantage in on this point, just physically. But right. it's interesting to see. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's something that I think we've seen both of these guys do relatively effectively because there were times when it wasn't necessarily like, you know, we're leading up the middle that they were lead blocking Kyler, but there were certainly times where on the edge, you know, those guys were asked to make blocks on safeties and linebackers that would spring Kyler. Um, and I thought, you know, I remember a couple of pretty re- really solid blocks from Kennedy Brooks, and he's mm-hmm. the guy that you wouldn't expect that as much from. So I, I really like the idea of, of either one of those guys being great lead blockers. Um, let's go ahead and talk about, you know, another guy that was in the program last year. He never really was able to be fully healthy for, I feel like, an extended period of time. So that kind of held him back last season. But um, TJ Pledger. Mm-hmm. Going into his sophomore season, um, <clears throat> he's the, I mean, he's, this is a big year for him. Like he's, yeah, I mm-hmm. think he's going to mm-hmm. need to establish himself as the third back 
um, this year. Otherwise, I think we're probably looking at a transfer that's you know going to be pretty inevitable. Um, yep. You know, if he's going into his third year as at OU and he's not you know in line to at least get significant backup touches, like I don't see him really sticking around. So I think he's going to need to establish himself as that third running back. And you know, this is a guy that. Oh, you really, really wanted a couple years ago. Like he was, I think, our number one running back target that year. Yep. And you know, we pulled him in early, and he stayed committed the entire process. So, um, I know Nathan's a pretty big TJ Pledger fan, and like I've I've always liked how hard he seems to run. Yeah, right. I like I like Pledger a lot. Um, but it is, it is kind of this weird dilemma because I don't really. I don't really know if I see a ton of playing time for him. And so he, I think he is kind of a risk to transfer because I don't know if he's going to get on the field that much. But at the same time, I think he is and could be a pretty good player. So I, I'm, it's just kind of this weird situation. But uh, I do like him a lot. I, he, like you said, he runs really hard. Um, he's, he kind of adds a dimension that we don't really have, kind of that natural little kind of smaller all-purpose guy. Um, mm-hmm. I I think he adds a lot, kind of that another dimension, but um, I think he's going to be in a real battle for that third running back because I really like the other guy that they brought in this past year, um, who we'll talk about, I'm sure, in a minute. Um, But I think if he has a real path to playing time, it's by kind of that leveraging what I just mentioned, that skill set that maybe Brooks and Sermon don't have as much of that – all-purpose threat, catching balls out of the backfield, and then running really hard and trying to, you know, he's only 5'9", 195 pounds maybe, so he's thicker, but he's still fairly small. I mean, he's not much taller than Roy Finch. So he's got to kind of try and carve out that kind of niche role um, and maybe expand outward from that. Um, I think that's his best way of, you know, earning time on the field, um, and then obviously he needs to stay healthy because he's a smaller guy, so yeah. probably a little bit more prone to getting injured. You know what's interesting about running backs, and you look at a depth chart with running backs, is that you know before a season starts, you know like right now, I don't think any of us really see a ton of opportunity for TJ Pledger. But running back, really more than any other position, you are literally you are one play away from being oh, yeah. like a big part of the offense you know like yeah, yeah. none of us saw an opportunity for kennedy brooks last season and then freaking rodney anderson tore his acl against ucla and then all of a sudden kennedy brooks was our starter by the end of the year you know oh, yeah. so like, like yeah. this that's the situation tj pledger's coming into like we don't see a lot for him right now but like kennedy brooks could hurt himself early in the year and then all of a sudden he's the second back to to Trey Sermon, you know, like, so, I mean, I like him, you know, talent wise. Um, It's just going to be come down to the fact, like, is he going to get an opportunity? Is honestly, is somebody going to get hurt in order for him to get on the field? Because I just don't see him getting on the field other than, you know, spot duty um, unless there's an injury. Um, So, oh, well, I mean, we, it is what it is. Like, that's the, that's what you get when you recruit skill positions every year at a high level you know you get guys that get recruited over and they just never get their chance and i think that's why it's really nice to have like the transfer portal because 
I think TJ Pledger needs to play. Like if he doesn't get yeah. playing time this year, then I think he should look to leave. Like I don't mm-hmm. think there's any reason to stick in the program and just be like, well, maybe this year's my year. Like I just I I think he should go go and play if he doesn't find an opportunity on the field this season. Yeah, I think right. he's a guy that could definitely, you know, play at a I can see him going to somewhere, you know, like I don't know just throw out a random school like Maryland or something and, you know, have a pretty good solid career after post uh, transfer. So sure. Um, yeah. I think Abdul Adams is about to do that at Syracuse. I mean, from everything I've read. So yeah, um, I think he could definitely have that type of a career elsewhere. Yeah. I'm still annoyed that Abdul Adams left because, and it was, I mean, I don't blame him. I just, I don't think that <laughs> the way we handled him was particularly great and he would have been great to have last season. But at the same time, it's like maybe Kennedy Brooks doesn't get his chance if Abdul Adams is still around, but um, it, it generally works out with the way we, way we've recruited. So uh, let's go, let's go to that guy that you kind of alluded to earlier, Nathan. Um, I'm pretty sure it was Ramondre, Ramondre Stevenson. Yep. Um, I know you and I are both big Ramondre Stevenson fans. Like this guy, by far the biggest back in the backfield. You know, he's listed at six foot, 232 pounds. Like mm-hmm. he is just a thick guy. Like it's honestly, it, he could have been listed at like 245 and I would not have been surprised at all. So um, it's. <laughs> I might have been a little surprised, but. <laughs> right. Like yeah. he's just he's a, a massive. Guy. He's a big guy that, you know, I think uh, we, you know, we talked about, I think around signing day, like really the best attribute he has is his feet. Like he's mm-hmm. a really strong, big guy, but he's not limited, you know, from the ability to just be agile and short in l- small areas, you know, like he can make a little subtle cut and make a guy miss, you know, he hits the hole really hard. I think I kind of compared him to a combination of Trey Sermon and Samaj P. Ryan, um, just to, like he hits the hole like P. Ryan, but then like in the open field, he's more like Trey Sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he's a, he's very shifty, able to make guys miss, but he, he's not going to really, he's not going to outrun a lot of guys um, no. in the open field, but like, he doesn't really have to, like he's, yeah. he's strong enough that he's going to be able to get a lot of yards by just using his feet and his strength. Yeah. If he runs a four, six, that I would be surprised. Like, right. He'd be yeah. high, like four, six, eight, maybe. But, right. um, I don't think that that's really a knock on him because I've seen we've seen plenty of you know really effective college football players uh, running backs that don't run that fast so um, right. I think his size and short area quickness and all the things you just mentioned I I mean I really I really like him um, yeah. I would not be surprised at all if he is the second leading rusher um, on this team maybe yeah. behind Brooks so I, I mean I, I honestly really like I think he's and like we haven't seen him do it at this level, but I right. think his ceiling is definitely higher than Trey Sermon's. Like I he can be like an upgraded Trey Sermon. Um, you know, it's going to be tough for him to get that opportunity this year because mm-hmm. Trey Sermon's been doing it for two years. You know, he's been a very established player in this offense. Yep. But like, I mean, I I would almost rather see Ramondre Stevenson get carries than Sermon. Um, other than maybe in that like closer role, I think Sermon is still pretty elite in that role. But um, 
you know, I, I'm interested to see if they try to find anything interesting to do with Stevenson. You know, like, I think there's a lot of two-back possibilities with him where you could use him as that lead blocker that Ryan was talking about earlier. Like, right. Because this dude is massive, and he if there's any of these guys that should be able to lay down a great block on a defensive end or like a middle linebacker, it's probably Ramondre Stevenson. Mm-hmm. Well, you just think about, like, the possibility of some versatile heavy packages you can run, especially with Jalen Hurts on the field, like lining up with, I mean, putting as much weight as possible. I imagine like Jeremiah Hall, Trey Sermon, Ramondre Stevenson, and then like Grant Calcaterra also on the line. Yeah. Like that is a, or even like an Austin Stogner or Braden Willis. Right. Right. Just like, you can put a ton of weight and like a lot of those guys are also really versatile pass catchers. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think that if you just look at his attributes, like I think that Ramondre Stevenson in all likelihood will wind up being like the short yardage power back that we Mm -hmm. use because, you know, Sermon is not bad in that role, but he has a tendency to like maybe be a little bit too patient in those situations and it kind of Mm -hmm. costs him and he's not able to just, you know, sometimes you need a guy to just go, throw himself into the line and get a yard, you know? Yeah, and I think like, that that's more in Ramondre Stevenson's wheelhouse than it is Trey Sermon's. Right. Sermon has a tendency to like, I mean, he's certainly powerful and, you know, we really praised his patience his freshman year. Um, but definitely a guy who in a situation where you need two yards might make a mistake for a chance at five. Right. right. Exactly. No, I remember vividly there was a, I think it was a TCU game where like it was like third and one and Trey Sermon like tried to make a move to get outside instead of just lowering his shoulder and getting the first down. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it wound up, it might've cost us uh, some points on the possession. I can't remember exactly what happened afterwards, but I know it cost us a first down on that play. And like, I don't think that that's going to be, something that will be an issue for Mondre Stevenson. I think he'll just probably be willing to lower his shoulder. Um, all right, let's go to the last guy. And we're going to Marcus Major. He is the true freshman of the class from Millwood, Oklahoma. Um, I think this guy is by far the most physically gifted running back on the team. Like I've heard rumors of him running in the four fours. And I would imagine that is easily the fastest on the team at running back. Um, that's really like the one spot, like we don't have like a breakaway guy. Like we don't have this like elite Mm -hmm. speed player at this position. Um, but I think Marcus major has that potential. And like this dude, like he's five eleven, two hundred eleven 211 pounds as a true freshman. And, you know, I think the first time I ever heard of him was, you know, it was JD Runnels calling him the next Adrian Peterson, which that was not the smartest thing in the world to do. If you're JD Runnels, like you don't want to compare anybody to Adrian Peterson, but like, I do think that this guy is the most physically gifted player on the team. I'm, I don't know if he's going to find playing time this year. Like again, you never know at running back, like it might wind up. He's the only, he could be wind up going to a week, the only healthy running back for all we know. So, but as it is like, he is a guy that's relatively new to the running back position. Like he played wide receiver in high school, I think until his junior year. Um, So he is probably going to need a year to develop. And maybe that's not even, 
you know, red shirt, like he might find a role. I know I've, I've mentioned, I think he could be a really good kick returner. Um, so maybe he finds a role in that regard, but just not necessarily as a running back, because I do think it'll be hard for him to get on the field at running back because of all the guys in front of him and his relative lack of experience at the position. Yeah. I mean, with major, it's really all about kind of projecting. Cause like you said, he's, he is new to the, it's really two things. He's new to the position, and he played Oklahoma like what is Millwood two A two A football. So he wasn't yeah, playing very good. Comp- yeah, he wasn't playing mm-hmm. very good competition. Now, does that really matter? Because I mean, you look at like Creed Humphrey, who was who went to Shawnee, I think, which is I think three A. And his oh, no, 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 no. Shawnee is like six A two. Oh, okay. What am sneaky, I thinking? Sneaky well, big, sneaky, sneaky big. big. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry to all of our Shawnee listeners, but um, okay. Well. The point, I'm going to proceed anyway. The point is that I'm not 100% sure it completely matters, but it does matter some as far as just how quickly can you acclimate to the school? How quickly can you acclimate to the environment? It might be something that it's not a problem for major, but usually guys that go to, that are used to playing lower levels of competition, um, they take a little bit longer to get you know up to that level in uh in college and getting used to that. So I don't think it's going to be a big issue because like, like Alex said, uh, I'm pretty sure that, I mean, unless, you know, the worst happens and four running backs go down ahead of him, he probably won't be playing that much. He's most likely a redshirt candidate unless he's just too talented to keep off the field. But uh, I think projecting forward, I mean, he has, like you said, He's 5'11", he'll probably end up being 220 pounds, 215 pounds. Um, and if the 4'4 is accurate, you know, that's something that uh, blend of size and speed that, I mean, we have, outside of maybe Rodney, who you hasn't had too much of. I mean, Mixon was huge and he was fast, but he wasn't 4'4 fast. So it'll be interesting to kind of see how that works out. Um, yeah. Yeah, forward. we probably haven't had a guy with that kind of speed since, like, Damian Williams. Yeah, like, that's, a, that's Willi- a pretty good. Yeah, Williams could fly. Like, that guy was ridiculously fast, and he had the size to go with it. So, right. Mm-hmm. You know, and if Marcus Major is a Damian Williams type running back, I will be more than happy with that because Damian yeah. Williams was a good player. Yeah, still um, is. Yes, I mean, that guy might be a starting running back in the NFL this year. You know, so mm-hmm. that's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so. I think we're good with our, that's going to be our first, you know, kind of two position group previews. Uh, We'll hit the probably wide receivers, tight ends, maybe H backs next week. So, or whenever we pot again, I don't know exactly. I can't promise anything. So, (laughs) but that will be our our next group. Um, So I thought we would go to, and these are going to be like, low-key kind of thrown together and I'm kind of excited about it because I think that makes it better. Uh, I want all of us to do a top. I want us to rank the big 12 in terms of how we think we're going to finish. And like, we don't have to do a lot of, you know, justification. You don't have to explain every team, but if you want to talk about like a random team, if you have a team in a weird spot, please explain. But, um, yeah, I, I just want to see where we are at because 
this year in the Big 12, honestly, it's going to be probably the most interesting year in a long time in the Big 12 because of all the new coaches. You have guys like Bill Snyder and you know Cliff Kingsbury that had been in the conference for a while. Dana Holgerson's gone, so you know there's a lot of a lot of you know new faces in the coaching ranks in this conference. And I think for the most part, like the coaches that left uh, were replaced by really good, successful coaches, like guys that were not necessarily coaching on the Big Twelve level, but they were having success at the Group of Five. And in one case, the FCS level. So, um, so I want to. Who wants to start? We'll go ten to one. I'll start. All right, hit ten. Me. Kansas. Mm. Hot take. Hot take. <laughs> hey, I, I I have a hot take. This is this is like my third year in a row with this hot take, but here it comes. Ten. Texas Tech. Texas Ooh. Tech. Wow. Now hating on Alan Bowman. One. This is one I would like. I need. I want you to understand, or right. Right. I want you to uh, to tell me why. Right. So, Tech's entire coaching staff is completely different, which is I don't know. I might be reading too much into that. That's probably not as uncommon as I think. But it's literally every coach from strength and conditioning up to head, um, mm-hmm. and it's not like. It's not just Wells bringing his whole coaching staff over from Utah State. Like, um, the big one for me is defensive coordinator. Um, it's, you know, Wells is an offensive coach. Like, Utah State had great defenses under him, but he, he was an offense guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, you're talking about this is a team that's going to change its scheme pretty significantly on both sides of the ball and might not have the talent for either of them. Like they all, they also have Kerry Cooks coaching their safeties, right? So this is like, Alan Bowman's good, but first off, like he's coming off a collapsed lung, <laughs> um, and second, like he's going to be running an entirely different offense, maybe one that's not actually. You know what? I'll say it, and I don't think that this is a controversial take at all. They're not going to be as good on offense this year. Like you don't get a better offensive mind than Cliff Kingsbury unless his name is Lincoln Riley. Like that might be hot. That's a spicy one. But I the point stands that like Cliff Kingsbury is like a legitimate offensive like wonder kid. And you've replaced him with a guy whose offense is best facet like it was totally competent at utah state but its best facet was that it didn't get in the way of the defense and the guy running the defense is not the guy running your defense um so yeah like it could work but there are so many points at this that could go wrong just so much has changed and defense takes more than a year to fix okay i like i like the spicy take uh i i'm also gonna go with kansas because uh, I mean, I don't, I'm not particularly high on the ability of Les Miles to coach football at this point. Nope. Um, I do think that like, it might've been a low key, brilliant hire for Kansas in one sense. And that is that Les Miles is probably going to recruit better players than Kansas has ever gotten before. Yeah. So even if it goes really poorly, the, the next guy is at least going to have some level of talent to work with. Um, so I think that that is, 
you know, I'm not, I don't think that is what Jeff Long had in mind when he hired Les Miles, but I think that that might be something that could work in their favor, um, even as Les Miles probably fails in this position. Um, all right, do you want to go to number nine, Nathan? Yeah. Um, and full disclosure, I'm doing this kind of off the cuff. Um, K State. Okay. That's fair. And I think mainly because they have a new coach, obviously. They're replacing a legend. Um, I think they have probably the lowest level of talent outside of Kansas, maybe in the conference. And also, I'm not 100% sure how I feel about the scheme that is it Kluman, Kleiman? I don't even, Kleiman, I don't even know how to say I think it's Kleiman. Kleiman? It's Kleiman. Yeah. Like Kleiman Mountains. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so I'm not exactly sure. I I mean, they were doing this kind of like smash mouth, you know, very kind of pro style thing in North Dakota State. And if he tries to bring that in Kansas State, I mean, obviously that's kind of what they were doing, very run heavy. That wasn't pro style, but at K-State under Snyder. But I just don't know how – it's just kind of a weird fit because uh, yeah. he's so used to having kind of out-talenting most teams in FCS – He's not going to be able to do that anymore. So where do they come up with the uh, advantages? I don't know. I think it's going to take a few, a few years. I don't love Skylar Thompson. Uh, they have, Reggie Walker's a good defensive player, but I think they're just low on talent. They're a lot, they lost a really good running back in Barnes. So I think it's just going to take them a little while. Yeah, I agree. And the other like tricky thing in that situation is like. Snyder didn't well it's hard to say left on bad terms when the stadium's still like named after him um but you know that that is the guy that you're replacing um and so it remains to be seen how much institutional support he's going to get here um because if this starts slowly and it's entirely reasonable to expect it to start slowly you know and like, if there's any sort of culture shock, like it could get bad. Right, right. Uh, let's hear your number nine, Ryan. Oh, my number nine's Kansas. Kansas. All for right. Reasons previously stated. Right. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna go. Here's one for you. I'm going West Virginia at number nine. This is an interesting one. I like this. Uh, I don't think it's that spicy because I have them coming up soon so yeah so it's it's probably not like a hot take or anything but west virginia i don't know if they're going to be able to field a secondary first (laughs) of all like they had like five safeties transfer um in like the span of three days so that's that's not a great start for the new coach i also think that austin kendall sucks i'm just gonna go ahead and say that full disclosure (laughs) I hate Austin Kendall. I think he's terrible. Um, so that, you know, going from a guy like Will Greer, who was very overrated, but like not a bad quarterback by any means to a guy that has like a noodle arm in Austin Kendall, then I, uh, no, the Austin Kendall slander will not stop on this podcast <laughs> for me at least. So, uh, it, that will be pretty constant. Watch him come into OU this year and beat the shit out of us. That would be, yeah. That would be perfect. Um, but, no, I, I I think it's going to take a year. I really like the hire they made. I think Neil Brown's really good. Um, but it's it's going to take a year. They've had a lot of attrition. And last year's team was kind of like 
the best team they've ever had. And it was that way because of the oh, experience okay. that they okay. had. It was no 2007, but okay. Right. Well, yeah, you're right. You're right. It was the best team. I should say that was the best team they had since they switched to the Big 12. Yeah. You know, so it was the best Big 12 team that they had fielded. Um, and they, you know, they lost a, you know, a fairly significant amount of talent. So mm. I'm pretty, I'm pretty convinced it's going to be a kind of a rebuilding situation at West Virginia for Neil Brown, who I think is the right guy to do it if he can figure out the, you know, the new area for him to recruit going from coming from Alabama to West Virginia might be kind of interesting, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to West Virginia at number nine. Let's hear your number eight, Nathan. Uh, I mean, you just, you just talked about him. I have West Virginia at eight. Um, and it's pretty, because Austin Kittle reasons. sucks, right? Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's more because, I mean, who do you really feel super confident about? I mean, on their team, Kennedy McCoy, I mean, is he going to carry him to glory? I mean, I think he's fine, but right. uh, there's just not for much for me to feel really confident about. They have a brand-new staff. They are, they're losing just a ton of you know, experience and really good – the world's okayest you know, quarterback in Will Greer. I mean, he's just – I don't see – it's just a, the classic rebuilding year, I think. Um, yeah. I think what they, I mean, Austin Kendall knows OU's whole playbook, so I'm sure he'll probably torch OU, but against good defenses, he'll probably, the whole two other ones, you know, in the conference, he probably won't look that good. But I don't know. I just, I see a six and six type of season from them. Yeah. Fingers crossed that Austin Kendall does not know OU's new playbook. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, Let's see. At my number eight, I have Kansas State. Okay. I'm just going to be lagging behind for a while because of the tech. <laughs> the tech thing. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. My number eight is also Kansas State. Um, I was, I really like the hire they made. I like the idea of climbing a lot. Um, you know, he was, nobody really in college football has been more successful than him. In the last few years, you know, you know, granted it was at the FCS level, but like the guy does know how to win football games. So, and I, I did listen to a, uh, an interview with a Kansas state writer the other day and, you know, not that you can learn everything you need to know, but like, it just seems like he has instilled a sense of excitement around that program that they haven't had because Bill Snyder was the most boring human in the world. Yeah. Um, He's Worn the same tennis shoes since the 80s, true thing. Yeah, so like, <laughs> I think that there is a certain aspect of, of climbing that might that that might energize the program a little bit. Um, and I, I feel like their, you know, their schedule isn't too bad to me. Like, they get Baylor at home, they get TCU at home, they get West Virginia at home, Iowa State at home. And those are all like teams that are winnable, you know, like they, you know, obviously they get OU at home too. They go to Texas, you know, those aren't games that you're probably expecting to win no matter where you play them. But, um, you know, I think they have some pretty winnable games at home that they can kind of handle, um, especially like teams around them, like Baylor and Iowa state like that. Those are teams that, you know, maybe they can sneak a win out in one of those situations. So, um, What's your number seven? Okay, let me think. 
I'm going to go with Texas Tech at seven. Okay. Uh, I like I like Alan Bowman. I yep. don't like a whole lot else. I mean, they have Adrian. It's Adrian Fry. They have a couple decent defensive backs. Mm-hmm. Um, they have good players, you know, here and there. Like I know they have a, you know, a good alignment. They have. I'm sure they have seven good receivers because that's about all Kingsbury could recruit. Um, yeah. But I just, I think, like, Ryan talked a lot about it. They have a ton of turnover. Um, Matt Wells had one really good year at Utah State, but he also struggled a few years. I mean, so it might be a little bit of an acclimation period. I don't love that they hired Kerry Cooks. Um, that doesn't give me a whole lot of confidence in them. Right. So uh, I just can't put him much above seven. I I think bowl game and they'll be. I think bowl game. They should be happy with making it that far. Right. All right, Ryan. What's your number seven? My number seven is West Virginia for all of the reasons previously elucidated. Um, what are your I, What are your feelings on Austin Kendall? I mean, I don't think we're giving him an entirely fair shake. Um, oh, I know I'm not. But go ahead. <laughs> Quarterbacks can improve, um, and frequently they improve, and we refuse to admit this happened. This is my current status with Sam Ellinger. Um, so, yeah, West Virginia, just because they lost everything, and then they lost their coach. But probably still, I don't know. We'll see. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they're eighth or ninth in this league. Um, but probably seven would be okay. about where they would, I, I imagine, expect to be at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, yeah, no, I, I, I can see it. If uh, some things fall right, you know, their schedule, they have some winnable games at home, so maybe they can pull something off, mm-hmm. off that way. Um, so that brings me to my number seven. And I have Texas Tech, and this is almost entirely just because they have Alan Bowman, and he's decent. Like he's a decent quarterback, and Tech has had a good offense essentially every year since I've watched them play. Um, so I just assume that they will still have a good offense. So um, you know maybe their defense struggles, but it has been improving, and I know that they're switching things up now. But um, I'm gonna go with. Tech just because you know it is tough to play in Lubbock too, so that that's always maybe good for a win or two. So um, Tech is my number seven. Let's hear number six. That's where it gets interesting. Yes, I have your uh, beloved Pokes at number six. Whoa, that's pretty spicy. Mm. But I no, I but I feel it though. <laughs> Give me this. Yeah, we've got a hater here, folks. <laughs> So, I don't know. I, I think it's mainly because I haven't bought into Spencer Sanders. Um, oh, I, you know, what about Drew Brown? Yeah, uh, I really haven't bought into Drew Brown. Dude, okay, <laughs> I just got to say, just quick aside, um, you know, we all bag on Robert Allen because he's kind of a homer, and, you know, that's definitely true. And their their whole radio broadcast is like, the worst 
and I it's the worst thing in the world to listen to. But I remember at one point I was headed to an OU game last year, and for whatever reason, the car that I was in turned on the OSU broadcast, or it was even like a pregame show for the OSU game, and one of the people on that show literally compared Drew Brown to Baker Mayfield, and I almost <laughs> threw up. Um, so... Yeah, it was it was hilarious, but uh, yeah. yeah. So, okay, please proceed. Oh, I mean, so they have a couple really good skill guys, but who in the Big Twelve doesn't outside of like K State? You know, I don't love their defense. Um, so last year they were actually, if I remember right, during the regular season they are the number one team in the country in sacks, and they were still terrible. So yeah, that is yes, yes. Presuming that they can't replicate that, I just don't see it getting much better on that side of the ball. I let I I do like Chuba Hubbard or Chuba or however how you say his name. Tylen Wallace is really good. Like I said, good skill guys. O line is has been getting better, but they lost their O line coach to A and M. So how do you know how does that affect them? Um, I, yeah, again, I just I haven't heard the best uh, rumors coming out of Stillwater on Spencer Sanders, and maybe that's just you know radio gossip, and he's actually the seventh, second coming. But there is you know an aspect of OU. I mean, whenever Cameron Rising flipped to Texas, OU had the opportunity to potentially go after Spencer Sanders, and they didn't. And much like Casey Thompson, that just sticks in my head as something of Lincoln Riley had the opportunity to go after you and decided he wasn't interested. So that tells me something. I don't know. Maybe that's a bad reason, but that's my reason. Okay. okay. All right. Ryan, what's your number six? Uh, my number six. This is going to get flimsy real fast. Uh, I have Baylor at six. Okay. Um, and if you ask me why, um, I couldn't really tell you. I, <laughs> <laughs> Astute uh, observation. You know, like, there's these four, there are four teams here. Like, we pretty clearly established the four teams that we think are at the bottom. Right. And then there's, like, four teams who are going to be in the middle. And then there's two teams at the top. And I bet we can guess which two are at the top. Um, Iowa State. I, that's right, Matt Campbell. Um, mm-hmm. I actually might move them up in this ranking um but no so to me i look at i look at the middling teams and baylor is the one that has impressed me the least uh so they go here they've got they've got some talent but what what i will say Mm -hmm. is that baylor has a very good schedule yeah that's Um, fair they they get oklahoma schedules yet yeah, they get both OU and Texas at home, which is pretty helpful. They get Iowa State at home. So, right. I mean, that is something that I think is definitely in their favor. Um, all right. So my number six. I'm going to go. This hurts. All right. I'm going to go with Iowa State. Oh, that does hurt. All right. So I'm. I know that they have a lot of experience coming back. Um, and I know that Brock Purdy is the best quarterback in the country. 
Yeah. Um, shouts to Brock Purdy. Great quarterback. I will. I want to mention, and I, I forgot to mention this as we were talking about quarterback recruiting, is that I am thoroughly disgusted in Lincoln Riley and his refusal to pursue Chubba Purdy as the 2020 <laughs> quarterback. Basically, Chubba Purdy is like a 6'3 Brock Purdy, and to me that sounds like an NFL first-round draft pick. So, um, uh, yeah, I'm very annoyed. I'm very annoyed at Lincoln. This is the first time I've ever thoroughly disagreed with Lincoln. Um, but he is, you know, disrespecting the Purdy name by not pursuing Chubba Purdy, who not only has a great last name, but a very strong first name as well. That's I true. just want to point that out. That's true. Um, so I'm going to go with Iowa State at number six. And the reason is, is that David Montgomery was like a big freaking deal for this football team oh, last yeah. year. That's true. And they lost him. They lost their best receiver. Um, and Brock Purdy was a bit inconsistent at times. And, you know, I think there is a chance that that could lead to a, a sophomore season where he kind of like, first of all, like Brock Purdy came in middle of the season and he had just no expectations, you know, like it was like, who is this kid coming in? You know, he came in against Oklahoma state and tore him up. And then from that point on, it was like, Oh, this guy's awesome. Uh, but giving, you know, defenses a full off season to prepare for him. Um, I have questions um, on how he'll respond to that without having a guy like Akeem Butler and David Montgomery to, to lean on, you know, additionally, they lost both corners. They lost a couple linebackers, you know, they do both in both the trenches. Like they have their guys back, like defensive line and offensive line. They're all, all their starters are back, but like, to me, with a team like Iowa State is, like, I feel like skill talent is probably more important for them because that's where they can kind of separate themselves because they're not pulling out, they're not pulling in elite talent on the defensive or offensive lines. So, I I feel like skill production can hurt them more than you know the average Big Twelve team. So that's fair. Um, yeah. That's where I'm at with with Iowa State, and I think that like. Is this how many years has Heacock been there? Uh, so he came with Matt Campbell, right? So, so this three, this will be uh, his third year. Oh, this will be his fourth. He's fourth year. They've had three seasons. I think it's time for Big Twelve teams to figure out his defense, and I think once that happens, it's going to be an issue because you know the more I watched that defense, it was it's kind of gimmicky. You know, like I I understand what they're doing, but like I don't. I don't know. Maybe it's just because it's so different that I don't really understand well, if, why it works so gimmicky, well. Then, if it's gimmicky, oh, you should start running some gimmicks because they're no, way better. <laughs> no, I absolutely agree. But like, it just seems like it's time for. I'm basically waiting for Lincoln Riley to just completely figure it out and just destroy yeah. it. Like he has, like Gary Patterson, for example, he's destroyed that defense. So um, I'm looking for maybe a dip in that in that way too, um, defensive production. Uh, all right, so let's go to number five for Nathan. I have Baylor at number five. And yeah. mainly because I like Charlie Brewer better than I think I'm going to like Spencer Sanders. Um, I think Charlie Brewer's a decent quarterback. I don't think he's a great quarterback, but I think he's pretty tough. He makes, you know, most of the most of his throws. He, could, I mean, 
he's not an elite quarterback, but I think you can win with Charlie Brewer. I like Matt Rule. Um, they have some good skill talent. I'm a huge fan, of actually, of Jamichael Hasty. Uh, they have uh, that one receiver that torches OU every year and then doesn't you know do anything against anybody else. Denzel Mims. Which, yeah, Denzel Mims. Um, they have, I mean, they have some good players. They have James Lynch. I think is still there on the defensive line. I just, they have some nice pieces. I think they're still maybe a year or two away from actually, you know, maybe pot- potentially getting up to nine or ten wins. But I right. mean, Matt Rule has steadily climbed every year. I mean, it's only his third year, but even at Temple, he kind of did the same thing. He came in, they kind of lower bar, and then climb each year. Um, I just think he's a good coach, and I, I think they're going to. And like you said, they have a good schedule, so I have them, you know, continuing to maybe get up to seven, eight wins this year, and uh, continue, um, you know, ascending the Big Twelve hierarchy. Uh, I don't think they're. Ever, I would be surprised if they ever get back to where Bryles had them, but I could see them in the upper half of the conference for a while as long as Rule's there. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Ryan, number yeah. five? Yeah, I have Iowa State at five, and a lot of it is the loss of Montgomery. Okay. Um, especially just, there's a lot of times where that program, or where he would not put up monster stats, and it's because teams would just say, all right, today, David Montgomery does not get to carry the football very far. Um, yeah. And without that kind of like game affecting presence in their skill core, the holes are going to start to show. Um, but I like Matt Campbell. Um, you know, if the deep like, I, I'm okay with the defense being gimmicky for three years in a row and working. Mm-hmm. Um, because, well, just be, especially given like the offensive minds at work in this conference, like you'd think that like a gimmicky defense would last three games, not three years. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, the jury's still out on, on that. But yeah, I think, I think that's why Iowa State is there for me. Okay, so I'm going to go to my number five. Wait, I have before Baylor. you do that, or before, go ahead. I just want to say really quickly, need I remind anyone that in 2016, with Patrick Mahomes as quarterback, Texas Tech lost to Iowa State 66-10. to 10. Yeah, that was wild. Yes. That was wild. <laughs> I remember that game. Gimmicky defenses. Yep. Carry on. All right, all right. So I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm going to go with Baylor at number five. Um, I really like Matt Rule as a coach. Uh, I wish he was not at Baylor because I would like Baylor to kind of just go to the bottom of the conference and never leave. Yes. Um, But he's done an unbelievable job. And, like, they have six starters back on defense, and that defense was kind of bad last year. So I think that maybe moving in some new blood that, you know, he recruited will probably be good for them because he's recruited really well. Um, That guy just – I've been thoroughly impressed with everything he's done since he's been at Baylor. And um, it's been kind of annoying hearing so many people talk about, you know what team I think is underrated? Baylor. Because it's kind of gotten to the point where, like, they're not underrated at all now because everybody yeah. thinks they're underrated. So, yeah. um, but, at the, you know, I'm still going to roll with, um, with Baylor um, at number five. Their schedule is, 
is decent. Like they've got, like I said, both OU and Texas at home. But you know, you could look at that as a negative too because those are both games that they could easily lose um, at home, and then you're losing in conference home games. So, right. um, but if they're able to find a win in one of those games, then I think I like their chances of finishing in the top half of the conference. Uh, so let's go to number four with Nathan. I have TCU at four. And wow. Okay. Yeah. Mainly because I don't feel comfortable with them at quarterback. Um, Yeah. They have Alex Delton from Mm -hmm. Kansas State who can't throw the ball. Pretty good runner, but can't throw the ball. Right. Uh, The guy that can't feel his foot uh, is also still there. And then the reigning Cheez It Bowl champion, uh, uh, no name white guy that I can't even remember his name. Mike, Mike Collins. See, I, Collins. I don't even know if that's a real person. Yeah. So, basically, I don't feel comfortable that they can score adequate bunches of points. I think they're going to be very good on defense, you know, except against OU. Uh, they right. have Jalen Rager, who's excellent. And if I would still be pissed that OU missed out on him if they hadn't gotten Marquise Brown in the equation. So, yeah. it worked itself out. But he's an excellent. He's excellent. They're going to get uh, Ross. Blacklock back from injury. He missed all of last year. He's, I don't know if he's the best defensive tackle in the, in the Big 12, but he's probably a top three defensive tackle in the Big 12. Well, I think um, they, they probably had the best defensive line, you know, defensive yeah, Corey, tackle pairing in the, in the conference with yeah, Bethley, Corey Bethley and Blacklock. Probably, yeah. yeah, they have some good players there. Yeah, defensively, they're going to be really good, like they always are. I just don't know if they can score enough um, to be in the top, you know, certainly the top two. I don't think they can make it to Arlington. I don't even feel mm-hmm. comfortable to say they're, they can be number three just because I don't know about their quarterback. But I really like some of their defensive pieces. Um, I actually don't even know off the top of my head who's going to be their running back. So maybe they'll have a new running back that can do some things. But I just don't feel super confident in their offense. But I think they're going to be probably statistically the best defense in the uh, in the Big 12 next year, which, you know, surprise. So yeah. that's kind of why I had them all the way at still at, you know, hanging strong at number four. Okay. Ryan, number yeah. four. I actually agree with Nathan on this. I have TCU there. Gary Patterson today described his quarterback contest as having, uh, is a six man race. Um, I saw that. Yeah. That is not a good place to be. Yeah. And right. I get that's, that that's, that's, that's too many people. <laughs> that's, and that's like coach speak or whatever, but yeah. still like, you, when your when your top candidates are um, Alex Alex Delton, um, who is basically a running back, um, a guy with drop foot, yeah. and a different guy who doesn't have drop foot, and I still don't know his name. Um, <laughs> that's a bad that's a bad place to be. And I trust Gary Patterson to be a good coach and like Sonny Cumbie's not an idiot, um, which is like the highest compliment I will give <laughs> an assistant coach. Um, so like they'll be fine, but like they're not going to really contend. Yep. Yeah. I just want to give a, so I'm looking at the Athlon, the magazine, preseason magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, and on TCU schedule, they have at TCU on their schedule. So mm. I'm trying to figure out what is wrong with that. And it looks like they 
have that instead of the Baylor game. So uh, it's um, like a A and M whenever they had uh, their spring game as a win on their schedule. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, Here's my question. If that's the case, is that is that a positive or a negative for TCU? Because clearly it's a uh, yeah. it's uh, it's a tougher opponent. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Who do you have at number four, Alex? So we're at my number four. Are you guys ready for my number four? I'm ready. Give me I it. have the Texas Longhorns Ooh, at oh number four. Wow. Coming in hot. Wow. This is the Coming spiciest one. In give, me the, hot. Give, me the, give me the Ellinger hate. I'm ready for I it. I have, okay, first of all, two starters back on defense, y'all. Two starters back on defense that wasn't even that good to start with. I understand that the talent is there. They're going to be a talented defense. They're probably going to be really freaking good in 2020 because most of their guys will be back. Fully aware of that, but that will not help the Texas Longhorns in the 2019 season. Um, they have two starters back on the offensive line. They lost their best receiver. Colin Johnson's the most overrated receiver in the country. And like just looking at the other guys on their depth chart at receiver, not guys that I'm super big on. Like I don't like Josh Moore, Brennan Eagles all that much. I don't really see it with them. Um, they don't have a big-time difference maker at running back. I mean, Keontae Ingram is talented-ish, but, like, I'm not not super in on him. Like, he's he's not a guy that's going to carry your offense, you know. So, um, starting there. And then their schedule kind of sucks, all right? So, first of all, they have to play LSU in the non-conference, which that in itself is like a beating, which that kind of sucks for them. Uh, but... They don't get to play OU at home. Obviously, they have to play them on a on a neutral. But they have to go to West Virginia. They go to TCU. They go to Iowa State, and they go to Baylor. Like that's a oh, lot wow. of tough road games. Yeah, for them to to kind of get through. Um, so unless they're able to just really lean on their run game, I think they're going to struggle on the road in the Big Twelve. Um, and now now I get to talk about Sam Ellinger, Ellinger, Elinger, Elinger. All right. Um, I think Sam Elinger is a decent quarterback and I'm not going to say that like he's horrendous and he is a completely acceptable college quarterback. I will also follow that up by saying, I think he might be my least favorite college football player of all time. Right. <laughs> um, Tom Herman, Jeez. I cannot stand the guy. Obviously he's kind of the worst. And to me, him and Sam Elinger are like the same person. Like they just, and I just don't get it. Like it all started with, I mean, the Kyler Murray bullshit last year. Like what the hell was that? Um, but here's my big deal with Sam Elinger. All right. So Terry Bradshaw, some 80 year old oh man God. named Terry Bradshaw. I really some, wanted to forget this happened. Yeah, well, the guy just comes out and he's like, "Eh, Sam Elinger isn't that good. He's okay, you know, he's not that good." And then, so that gets back to the Austin area media, and they feel like they need to have a therapy session for yeah. Sam Elinger. So they go to all the former Texas players who are at this camp, and they get them to give Sam Elinger words of encouragement <laughs> to overcome the adversity oh, that is. God. Terry Bradshaw saying that he's not that good. What the actual hell 
is going on? How the, the I don't can you get imagine it. that happening in like at the Norman media, like Oklahoma? Like I can't God. I can't it's such a different it's like such a different <laughs> sort of environment yeah. down there. Yeah. Like uh, it's just bizarre. They're like there's so much there's such bigger fans. I don't know. It's it's just the strangest thing It's about so weird, right? And here's the deal. Texas would not be like first of all, Texas had two good wins last year that like are the reason that everybody is picking them to be like top 10 in the country and number 2 in the Big 12 this year. They beat OU on the day that or the game that made OU fire their defensive coordinator. They beat them by 3 on a last second field goal. In a game better. that their win, win probability was much lower than 50%. And they beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl in a game that Georgia did not care about at all. Georgia was too busy worrying about how OU was going to look against, or how about how OU looked against Alabama in the playoff, thinking, thinking that they should have been there instead. They were not, they didn't give a shit about Texas in that game. And that's the only reason why Texas was able to win that game. And like first and Sam Elinger going on stage talking about how Texas is back. That's really cute. I also remember a guy named Trevor Knight doing that with OU after we beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl in a very similar situation. How did <laughs> yeah. the next season go for us? It Super was a well. compl- it was a very disappointing season, right? I think that is what Texas has hey. in store. That that season bur- birthed a dynasty. Yeah, it was Clemson's dynasty, but it still right. birthed the dynasty. Right. Yeah, it did. Oh, but man. I just I see a disappointing season coming from Texas because I think they are they're gonna be a very inexperienced team. Like they're gonna be a talented team. I'm not saying that Texas is screwed from now until the end of time, but I think they are going not I don't think they're going to meet expectations. Tom Herman's team generally do not meet expectations. Generally, whenever they're in a situation where everybody thinks they're going to be great, they tend to underachieve a little bit. And I think that's That's what's going to happen with Texas. Um, They'll still probably fucking beat LSU or OU. Like, that's what – or both. Tom Herman teams do that. For whatever reason, they win big games, but they'll probably lose at TCU, and they're definitely going to lose to OSU because they always do. So – and then Tom Herman will try and fight Mike Gundy. And then they'll fight each other at midfield. That'd be great. That'd be yeah. fantastic. So I have the Texas Longhorns, everybody's darling, number four in the Big 12 Conference. You hate to see it. Um, let's go on to, uh, to Nathan's number three. All right. My number three are the Iowa State Cyclones. Uh, I, I'm, a big, I'm a Matt Campbell fan, guys. Yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't deny it. I like the guy. I like him a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I like Heacock. I like Brock Purdy. Yeah, they're losing. Same. They're losing their uh, their big time receiver. But guess what? They also lost uh, Alan Lazard the year before, and that didn't seem to get matter because who knew who Hakeem Beller was before last year? Outside of against OU, what other big games did he have his, uh, the year before? David right. Montgomery. Yeah, good player. Uh, oh, well, I mean, this is more just a bet on Matt Campbell. I think the guy can coach. Um, they have, they return their whole offensive line, which I think, you know, I mean, I, I, they're not going to be stalwarts. They're not going to be Georgia's offensive line this year, but they're still going to be, you know, capable. They returned actually two of the better, de- uh, defensive linemen in the conference. Um, 
They have a really good middle linebacker who's go, who was a true freshman last year, uh, who's going to just get continue to get better. I don't know. I'm just I'm just a buyer. I don't think they're going to be any better than nine and three, but um, I think Matt Campbell just can really coach, and I feel much more confident in them being able to score than TCU, so they get the nod. All right, Ryan, number three. My number three is the Pokes. Um, and I forget if I'm lower or higher on them than you got. I'm definitely higher on them than Nathan. I. It sounds like you have them in the top two, Alex, is, if math is correct. I mean, I've got three spots left, so they could be my number three as well. I guess that's also true. Um, so I got the Pokes here. Um, in a way, this is kind of an optimistic compared to Nathan. This is pretty optimistic. My secret mm. is that I was an enormous Taylor Cornelius hater. I thought he was <laughs> terrible. Um, and it was always, I derived immense pleasure from watching teams in my own words, get done by Taylor Cornelius. Um, because I just, I just, I didn't believe him, believe him to be capable at all. Um, okay, so, hold on. I got to cut you off here. Okay, here we go. <laughs> I'm going to address something ta, Nathan ta, ta. just tweeted. Go ahead. Um, first of all, what, what the hell is wrong with this graphic? You can barely freaking read it because Texans is stupid. Oh, <laughs> this but thing. Texas has 11, 11 different, I think, teams identified as rivals by far the most in the country. Is that yeah. something we're celebrating? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's right, and this? so this is this is a quote from the article about Horns Down. Yeah. Um, and what this this was like a survey of teams, like, hey, what other what teams do you hate? And the answer is Texas, because everybody hates them. And like, yeah. that's not because you're like this super uber duper uber uber successful team. It's because you guys are the fucking worst. Yeah, it's like you got the most resources like, in the country, yeah, and you underachieve, yeah. and you act like you don't. This, like this graphic looks like the sort of graphic OU would make about Big Twelve championships or yeah. some other accolade. This is like treating the number of people who hate you as an accolade. Yeah, <sighs> that's wild. Okay. So right, please proceed with back your, to your back talk. to Taylor Corn, back to Taylor Cornelius the just human fail machine, um, the guy that so, threw for 500 yards against us. Yeah. yeah, look, we don't talk about it. Okay, we were one of we almost got so done by Taylor Nolan, Cornelius. So, yeah, whatever. Um, he so I don't know. I I see them not returning him as potentially secretly a blessing in disguise. Um. What the what it means that Drew Brown was not able to beat him out last year, I don't I can't say, but I don't know. You know, potentially there's room to improve there. I trust Mike Gundy to do something with this quarterback room. You know, mm-hmm. it's been well, you know, prior pre, pre um oh man I've already forgotten who was before Taylor Cornelius Mason Rudolph Mason yeah. Rudolph. Man, good times. Pre-Mason Rudolph, like, there was a good bit there where Oklahoma State didn't have an out-and-out number one. So, 
you know, You're disrespecting the memory of Clint Shelf right now. I, I oh. really am disrespecting the memory of Clint Shelf. Um, so, like, you know, quarterback by committee is not something Mike Gundy is unfamiliar with. He can he can make it work. He can get that doing something. I I, I believe in this mulleted man, um, right. but not that much. Yeah. Which is why they're number three and not number two. Yeah, so I'm going to go to my number three, and that is the TCU Horn Frogs. Um, and it, if they had a quarterback, they would be my number two pick, like yep. without a doubt. If, yep. they, if they were not probably going to start the year with Alex Delton as their quarterback, I would have them number two, no doubt in my mind. They had the best defensive tackle duo in the league. They're going to be really good defensively. They always are. They were good last year. Um, offensively, they were horrendous. But, they, you know, this TCU is a team that generally they find a way to bounce back. You know, like when they have a down year, they generally recover really well and produce in the next season. And I'm expecting that to happen again with Gary Patterson. Um, I, and I think they'll get at enough figured out offensively. Um, that they'll be serviceable on that side of the ball. And then I think getting Ross Blacklock back, they'll be probably pretty dominant in run defense. And that will be something that will kind of set them apart from other teams in the conference. Also, I think I just remembered, I think Darius Anderson was going to be back for their running back. So that's a good player for them on offense. I was trying to think of who it would be earlier. Yeah. Yeah, Darius Anderson and Sewu Sewu Alanalua is See, I'm not a big supposedly back. But yeah. I'm not yeah. either. He's also having some legal issues, so that might not even happen for him. But yeah, I think he's know, a they are poor guys that are, sermon. Yeah, but, those are guys that are experienced, and I do think right. Darius Anderson's really good. So yeah, he he can play for sure. Yeah, he's fast. Um, all right, so let's go number two for Nathan. I it's yeah, I know it's, it's the be. Uh, Oak, no Texas Longhorns. Um, so uh, this is mainly a talent thing they, they lose a ton on defense and I, even more than like just starts on defense. I think they lose a lot of leadership on defense, which is arguably, you know, on that side of the ball, it might be even bigger. And they lose, uh, just a lot of guys that just played a ton of football for them. Um, I think they have probably the best certainly from a talent standpoint and maybe from just a straight up standpoint, the best secondary. Um, I think I really like their corners. I know they lost Chris Boyd, but I think they might be better this year than without Chris Boyd. And he's a really good player. So he's a draft pick, but I think they have really good corners. Their safeties are definitely, I think the best in the league. Um, they're but every, everything else over there is a, it's kind of a question mark. Malcolm Roach is a good player, but I mean, he's not a superstar, but he's certainly someone, you know, that OU would be, you know, super happy to have. Uh, the linebackers, you know, it's kind of a question mark. Um, I'm assuming Keonde Coburn is going to be their defensive tackle, the nose tackle. Everything else is just kind of, you know, wait and see on defense. Offense, Ellinger is a good player. I'm not going to hate on him as a player that much. I think he's one of those guys that if he plays your team, you love him. You know, he's one of those types of guys. Um, he improved way more than I expected as a passer last year. I thought he was always going to be someone that was kind of uh, passing challenged. Um, he's not a dynamic runner, but he's good enough to get it done. Um, 
I think something that people is causing people to overrate him a little bit is how well he's played against OU. We've talked about that in the past. Everyone plays well against OU. It's not special to him. Um, I, I like Keontae Ingram. I think he's good enough to be, you know, an all big 12 kind of running back. They have awful depth behind Keontae Ingram. So if he gets hurt, that is a big time problem for them. Um, it's one of those things. Ramondre Stevenson chose to go to OU and maybe be OU's fourth running back versus almost certainly being UT's second running back. And that's, I just find that really interesting. Um, they have, on paper, good receivers. Um, Colin Johnson, decent. He's tall, uh, which is all that is really needed to work against OU's secondary. Um, Josh Moore, you know, strangely, is actually, of the, of the twins, him and Jordan, he's the one that I thought would be the head case. But the other one's the one that's already left A&M. So, who knew? Um, Brennan Eagles, I I liked him in high school. I haven't seen anything to really get excited about him in college, but we'll see. Uh, they don't really have any tight ends of note. Um, do we, slight aside, what happened to that kid from Jinx, Reese Leotow? Is he still there? I don't even know. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking at the depth chart in the Athlon, and he is listed as their backup tight end. Oh, okay. Well, it just goes to show that selling prescription drugs can even get you somewhere. Um, let's see. Offensive line. Cosme's pretty good. Shackelford's pretty good. They have a Parker, Parker something grad transfer from Georgia Tech that was all ACC. The thing Parker about him, Braun. though, yeah, the thing about him, though, that I'm a little interested to see is he was pretty undersized. He's like 6'3", 280. But that worked at Georgia Tech because they, right. you know, because of the, the offense they, they ran. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how that's going to run in a team in a system like Texas where they just want to run over you. So right, that'll right. be really interesting to see. Um, and yeah. then the other two, I, I'll, I'd be lying if I knew who else is going to start for them. Um, yeah. Overall, I think they're the second most talented team in the league. On defense, they're probably certainly in the back half of the defense, the most talented team in the league. Um, yeah, that's something that has been a little bit overlooked is that they haven't recruited particularly well up front defensively. Right. right like right, Keandre right. Coburn's probably like the only big time recruit they've gotten up front. And yeah, they've killed it in so secondary recruiting. Yeah. And front seven recruiting has been pretty quiet. It hasn't been yeah. any better than OU's, and OU certainly hasn't been great. Right. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, their secondary is. Definitely, you know, I would be ecstatic if OU had their secondary, um, just straight up. Uh, yeah, but just, uh, wait, just wait a couple recruiting classes and we'll, we'll see. We'll I hope be so. There. Um, <laughs> but anyway, all told, you know, again, I think they will be slightly worse on defense and they weren't amazing last year. And I'm not sure how much better they'll be on offense because I think they'll be okay. This is kind of another aside. You know, I've been seeing a lot of tweets about how Texas could have the be- should have the best offense in the league next year, and that just doesn't really make sense to me. I mean, they were like 35th best in the country last year or something like that, statistically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they don't return. I mean, they lose probably their best playmaker, Little Jordan Humphrey. They only have yeah. one running back, best They're playmaker, all- and like pretty much the big mismatch machine yeah. that they had. Yeah, right. their quarterback is good, but he's not Baker. He's not Kyler. Uh, they yeah. have, like I said, they have one running back. So any injury and they're, you know, they're screwed. I, I just, 
I, I don't really get it. I think it's just like kind of the hype machine a little bit out of control. But yeah. um, I think they're good enough to probably go 9-3, and 10-2, and two, and then lose to OU in the championship game. So, yeah, that's, yeah. My, that's my number two. All right, Ryan. All right. Uh, my number two is also Texas. Um, Cowards. I mean, I know. But Texas has the Should one thing that you. actually no other team in this conference, it seems, has, which is quarterback continuity. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's overrated, as Tyler would attest. <laughs> right. Um, and... So to me, it's just a combination of quarterback continuity and just like talent um, is enough to say, okay, yeah, probably second best team here. Um, I would really, really enjoy it if Sam took a uh, took a backslide because yeah, because for him to go from basically the worst football decision maker I had ever seen uh, to like going like eight or nine games without throwing an interception. Mm-hmm. It feels like it could have been a fluke. and I'd really like it to be because that'd be funny. Yeah. It'd be really hilarious. Yeah. Cause remember at the, the first game of the year last year, he had one of those decisions against Maryland yeah, and let two. it not be for, yeah. Let it not yeah. be forgotten that Texas had a home and home with Maryland and lost both of them. But <laughs> Yeah, yes. then then he just kind of went on this hot streak. So I, I'm not a hundred. Maybe he really is, you know, the new and improved Sam Ellinger, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. We'll see. Yeah, what I'll say about Texas is that we're going to find out very early if they are real because oh, they yeah. have LSU week two, and it's just going to be a physical test that yeah. you know they probably won't see in the Big Twelve. And if they're able to stand up and win that physical battle then I think we will find that I was completely off and wrong. Um, right. But, you know, I think that LSU's, I, I'm, not, I'm not betting on that. LSU's, LSU's defense on paper this year is, should be stupid. So yeah. if they can score on that defense, you know, the – I don't know. Yeah. How much do you think they had to score on LSU to win that game? 30? You, Wait. Oh, to beat LSU? Yeah. I think they could probably do it with 24. I think, you know, like a 24-21 type game might happen. All right. Um, But I don't know if they can get 24 on that defense. That's the issue that I'm seeing. So, Um, all right. So, we don't need to all go through our number one. There's only one team left. It is Oklahoma. Did you pick your number two? Oh, I didn't. I did not. So uh, I have the Oklahoma State Cowboys at number two, mm. of course. This is, this is wild. Got to represent um. the school. <laughs> and I'm uh, going to just be a complete and total homer here. Um, I think Mike Gundy is going to do a great job this year. I don't think he did a good job last year. He said as much. Taylor Cornelius was a average to below average quarterback and their offense was still really solid with him in charge. And they've been a really good offensive football team every year that Mike Gundy has been there really since the beginning, other than like that first year or two. Um, So I just, I think that 
that will be fine. And I honestly don't care who plays quarterback. I think it will be, at the very least, they'll break even at that position. Um, I believe at, at O-line they um, replaced – I can't remember who they had. He went to a and I can't remember his name. Josh Henson. Yeah, Josh Henson. They replaced him with the guy that it was that was at Kansas State who has done a really nice job over the past few years. Which I So I thought that was a really good hire for them. Um, so I think that the offensive line might wind up looking a little bit cleaner than it has in a while. They've got three starters back up there. Um, so that might be something that they can kind of lean on because, you know, Chubba Hubbard is a really good running back. I think he might wind up being better than, uh, Hanson, not Hanson, Justice Hill. Yeah. I was thinking Justice Hanson. Jesus. I do think he will be a better running back than Justice Hanson. Yeah, I agree there. Uh, but I think he might wind up being better than Justice Hill, and I really liked Justice Hill. So um, I think, you know, talent-wise, you know, Spencer Sanders is the guy that you want to win the job because he's a just a more naturally gifted player than Drew Brown. But um, if Drew Brown is the starter, I think you, you can look for at least it, his production to be at least in line with Taylor Cornelius. So um, I think that that's a positive. And then defensively, the way things go up there is that, like, generally it takes two years for a new defensive system to really get implemented. And obviously in year one, they had some issues um, in terms of giving up big plays. They were 99th and in terms of explosive plays given up. So um, not great, but they, I think that, you know, they had a good start in terms of wreaking havoc on the opposing team yeah. and Calvin bondage is back to be part of that. So I think that that's a, you know, could be a, there might be in line for a big jump in the second year. Speaking that's Jim a guy Mills. that I'm pretty sure Calvin bondage has been playing football for about nine years. He's been there forever, man. Like that guy talk about a guy that would, that Alex Grinch would love to have in Norman right now. For Jeez. real. He would be great in this defense. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm looking for a bounce back year for Oklahoma State. I think that program health wise, I think there are some major issues in how Mike Gundy approaches recruiting that might wind up coming back to bite him in the end. But I think this season, um, they're in for a good season. And um, I just want you guys to ignore the fact, um, and no, nobody remembers this, but I definitely picked Oklahoma State to finish second in the conference last year as well. <laughs> Um, nice. and they're, you know, so all in on corn dog. I gotta, I gotta represent, I gotta represent the, uh, the current school. So, um, go pokes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So that leaves us all at number one. And obviously OU is all of our number ones. They're going for their fifth straight big 12 championship. Um, what's just what? in itself is kind of insane because yeah. Yeah, I went. It's annoying that this is lined up literally perfectly with Clemson's run. Yeah, right. Uh, because otherwise, it would feel like I keep feeling like this is really special. And then I remember that Clemson is doing exactly the same thing. Yeah, like OU. So I remember last year they showed a stat during the Big 12 championship game where, like, it was, they're the first team since, like, 96 Florida to win four straight uh, major conference championships. But of course, Clemson has done the same, like you said during the same four years and they've also won two national titles. So it's like, yeah, we're dwarfed by <laughs> them. So freaking Dabo, but whatever. Yeah. It's, I mean, the good thing though, is that like, I mean, it's so clear that 
we are operating on a level that really only two other teams are operating on at this yeah. point. You know, yeah. maybe. Well, I guess Georgia's probably. Yeah, on I would that level say, I would say just, Georgia as well. They haven't had the same amount of success because of the conference they're in. Right. Um, but you know, we're in the elite of the elite yeah. in college football. So I top mean, that five. in itself is pretty cool. We're definitely top five. Um, so I mean, it it does suck. Yes, that we haven't been able to get over the hump and get the national championship and that Clemson is doing what we're doing, but with national championships. But at the same time, you can't feel too bad about winning your conference every year and beating Texas every year. Mm -hmm. Um, That feels pretty good. I am glad that Texas has got this hype now. So every time we, you know, play them it's like a lose-lose situation like the last decade and where we play them right because if we lose to them well why'd you lose to them and then if you beat them well you should beat them so yeah for sure no it's gonna feel it it's going to feel amazing if we beat texas twice this year yeah you know like because losing to texas last year was one of the most disappointing yeah. things i've ever was, experienced as I a football fan it's yeah so. <laughs> yeah my stupid brother was getting married so i had to watch it on tv so um but it well, uh i, I that would not be the case this year yeah. yeah yeah um so hopefully they can pull out two wins two wins this year or just one because Texas is probably going to finish fourth in the big 12 this year. So Um, it would be funny if Bedlam 2.0 happened this year, just because they moved Bedlam back to the last game of the season. (laughs) It'd be really good. Just like, just just stick Kansas at that game guys. Like it's not that hard. Yeah. Yeah. Then you don't have to worry about it ever. Right. Um, Yeah. No, I think that, that that would be a great, a great storyline if oh you because it's going to be in Stillwater too, so that's oh, yeah that's true yeah, yeah it's going to be interesting. I'm a little bit nervous about going to Stillwater, <laughs> even though we always went up there. So yeah, that's true. I'm sure by the time that comes around, I will not be remotely worried because I'm never worried about losing to OSU. Well, so. they'll be uh, sixth place in the conference, like I predicted. So what would ah, you to worry about? Yeah. Yes. Of course. <laughs> um, all right. So I think you know. We did, as predicted, go over two hours, which was always going to happen. Anytime we talk about football, it's going to go really long. So um, I know our our friend Sam was like, I'm looking forward, because he was unable to join us. And he was like, I'm looking forward to two hours of, of podcast to listen to tomorrow. So you're welcome, Sam. We, uh, we obliged. So Yes, we did. All right. Thanks so much for listening to the Oklahoma Drill. We're happy to get some football content back onto the feed. Um, as much as we love being like the most iconoclastic Thunder podcast in the universe, um, this is like it's nice to get back to you know the name of the podcast, the essential brand. Um, and uh, if you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, the Google Play Store, or on Pied- <clears throat> Podbean. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at RW Maxi, at Alex B. Purdy, and at Nathan J. Hill 24. Uh, it's 93, but I'm uh, protected, so he had to request it. Right. So good luck getting past the uh, screening process. <laughs> the screening process. That's good. There should be. <laughs> yeah. High standards. Yeah. That that would be that should be the new Twitter feature is just whenever somebody follows you, Twitter just gives you a quick breakdown of what kind of person this is. Mm. 
Yeah, you, you have to provide value to Nathan's <laughs> uh, Twitter timeline for him to, to get past his screening process. So yep. right. you better come with some, some like, heavy hitters if, if you want to get him. If That's I'm going to take you on as a Twitter follow, I'm going to need those two first-round picks back. Exactly. Exactly. Unprotected first-round picks. Don't don't come without protected shit. We don't need I that. I understood that reference. Yes. <laughs> yes. <sighs> All right. Um, well, we'll see you guys soon next week um, whenever we have more stuff. Um, but definitely soon. <laughs>